How are we doing this morning, church? I'm kind of hot. Yeah. Probably the, sweat, uh, the uh, sweater's fault, but that's, that's on the sweater. Um, <coughs> so, something's been happening in our world over the last couple of decades. Uh, we see a lot of problems. We've talked about them on and off in different ways uh, here in our sermons and even uh, in, our, uh, in our classes. There's a lot of hostility. It seems like people are, are angrier. It was really encouraging to me to walk around the neighborhoods on Monday night um, and see the joy and the excitement here in our community. Um, see people excited about kids. That was that was really fun. Um, my kid was certainly excited because those people had candy. Um, when you read the news and and you look online, we don't tend to see that type of kindness um, as much anymore. It doesn't seem like this world is as friendly as, as it used to be. And there are a lot of ideas, there are a lot of uh, movements that are happening, and, and we like to point to those, and we say that's why people, uh, uh, people don't have love anymore. That's what's causing people to be angry. But I, I don't think it's any of any one idea in particular, any one movement in particular. The problem in our world is that we're shifting towards individualism. individualism. We, we have a me problem. Individualism is this idea that self, myself, is what's most important. Taking care of yourself is of utmost importance. This shift is really clear when you see all the different new forms of self-help that there are, um, all the different ways that you can better yourself, the different coaches that you can actually hire to make you a better, a better you. You probably see some of the ways that this can be a problem, but truthfully, it, it, it's not all bad, right? Like on, on an airline, they'll tell you that when the oxygen mask comes down, who's the first person that you should worry about? yourself, right? Uh, that, that doesn't mean you don't care about the other people, but if you don't have oxygen yourself, then you can't worry about other people. And so once you've taken care of your own oxygen, then you can help your, help your kids, help your relatives, help the people who are sitting beside you. But so, socially and culturally, individualism, this mindset tells people that it is my life. I should be able to do with it what I want. And the outcome of my actions, how it affects others, comes second. Because individualism says how I feel is what's important. What I am getting out of my actions is what is important. Does that sound a little bit like the world that we live in? What about when individualism creeps into the church? When the church becomes individual, we start to see people jump from church to church. We see churches split because of disagreements. When the church becomes individual, worship becomes about me rather than about who we're supposed to be worshiping. Has your faith unintentionally been influenced by our culture's me-first mindset where it seems like they champion selfishness? Is that true? of you. 
through the rest of the year, our preaching is going to be primarily others-focused. Over the past uh, couple months, we've been talking about ourselves and our faith uh, in God, what we have seen, what we have heard. But if you think about it, we've really been talking about others all year as we've looked through Acts and other themes in the gospel that we have a message that others need to hear. Even our mission as a church to share Jesus and serve others. We're, as a church, we're supposed to be others-focused. This is something that's a, a frequent priority for our congregation, our church as a whole, but it also needs to be a priority for us individually as well. Specifically, over the next two months, we'll be approaching our own faith. You'll be approaching your relationship with God with others in mind. In recent years, it seems like our country has been increasingly me-focused, and it creeps into all of us. We, we, we come by it honestly. It's much easier to view the problems of the world through our own eyes. It's easy to become so caught up in our lives that we couldn't possibly have time to look at the lives of the people around us. But our relationship with God, our faith, was never intended to be just about you and God. God always intended to rescue his relationship with his people as a whole. Not just to rescue his person, you, but to rescue all of us. The church is this avenue that God has established for his people to come and to see him, to see God in the lives of other people. But it seems that these days Christians are leaving a church or hopping from one church to the next because their, meet, their needs aren't being met where they are. Now hold on just a second. When has our faith ever been about you? When has our faith ever been about me? Hasn't faith always been about denying ourselves to follow God? The more that Christians put me first, the more that we follow the indiv in individual uh, selfish world, the less we will care about we, the church, and eventually, we'll, if we're so focused on me, we'll actually stop seeing God altogether, because the God that we're looking for is just ourselves, and we'll end up looking in a mirror, seeing a perverted picture of who, who God is trying to show us who he is, because we're not focused on we, we're focused on me. There are two things that we have to do as a church, and we'll be hitting on these over the next two months. One, we've got to re start reemphasizing the role of, of community in our faith. This is something that we have to do church-wide, encouraging and equipping each other to engage as a body of believers in areas like service and Bible study and in fellowship. We've got to start reemphasizing community as a Christian community. But the second thing that we have to do, and this is something that you're going to do, I, I hope you do it, it's something I need to do. Individually, we have to start treating our faith like it's not about us. That means going to church not because you need it, and not even just because God deserves it. He does. 
But going to church because your brothers and sisters need to see you living by faith. You've got to start engaging with the word and not to find encouragement or not to find peace or assurance for the things that are going on in your life, but because by being a student of the word, you can give encouragement to someone else. We've got to start treating our faith like it's not about me. Faith is not about me. Faith is about we. <laughs> it's about us. It's about the church and the church as we grow closer to God. Hopefully over the next two months, we can stir up this sense of community among one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And if at any point in this series, or in our worship, or in any of our classes for that matter, you start to think, I don't really need to hear this right now. Or, you know what, this class doesn't really ap apply to me. This sermon isn't really hitting me today. That's okay. Because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about us. It's about us as a church and God. Jesus is the head of we collectively as the body, as was read in Romans chapter 12, working as one to bring glory to our Father in heaven. This morning, we'll actually be in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, looking at one of the end of Paul's letters to the churches, if you want to go ahead and join me there. Christians today, and even Christians in Paul's day, tended to look at people like Paul and put him on, on a pedestal. Look at all the great things that Paul did. If I could just be like Paul, then I, I, I would be the Christian I'm supposed to be. It's true, Paul does invite us to imitate him, but not because he thinks that he's worthy of imitation, but because he himself is trying to imitate Jesus. Paul was a great person of faith, but I hope we don't make the mistake of thinking that people like Paul are these super Christians who always have the answers and who never made any mistakes. If we think about Paul this way, this perfect Christian who always has the answers and who always has everything figured out, and then if I want to be a super Christian, then I have to have all the answers and I have to have everything figured out. If that's what we think faith is, then we're in for a really short ride. That's the rocky soil that sprouts up quick and doesn't take root. If we think that having a strong faith is something that we need to build for ourselves, then we're going to burn out really quick. This morning, when we look at Paul and his letters, I hope that we can recognize that even super-Christians like Paul, the great missionary church planner of the first century, even Paul couldn't do it on his own. And Paul's reliance and encouragement from others, as well as his obedience to the Holy Spirit, which is what we've been talking about all year, is what leads him to do many of the great things that he did. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 12. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged, him to visit, strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Ephesus was the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints, be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. There's a couple things I want to unpack right here. For one, just look at the way that Paul emphasizes other teachers and other church leaders at the end of his letter. All throughout 
Paul's time traveling and teaching, really even all the way up until his trial, and even, even during his trials, Paul's going with other people. He's going with industry partners. He's going with people like Barnabas and Silas and Timothy, even John Mark for a short time, and Luke, who was the author of Acts. And it's not just the people that Paul was traveling with. At each location, Paul is either trying to equip new people to teach, or he's leaving behind people who are going to keep teaching, keep teaching without him. He's, he's elevating these other people to do good works. There's a couple of reasons for this. One, I think it's, it's just practical for Paul to have the help from other teachers. Paul can't always have the right thing to say. There are times when he's tired. There are times when he's preoccupied. There are times when he is physically away. And he needs to rely on other people for teaching and also for their expertise as well. But another reason that Paul relies on these people is that he knows he will be more effective if he has ministry partners. His partners challenge him, and he challenges them too. His, his partners give him ideas. His partners his, his partners ate ideas from him. And not just is Paul relying on other people so that his work can be effective, so that his work can succeed. He's investing in what they're doing, too. Did you hear the way that he encouraged the church to listen to the teachings of someone else? These people must have been really excited to get a letter from Paul, who was a part of planning the church here in Corinth, and they get this letter, and Paul's encouragement to them is, listen to your preachers there. <laughs> They're hard at work so that you can know God. At the, end of this, at the end of this reading, he points his own listeners to listen to their local leaders, to their local ministers. A quick side note, I mentioned this a, a month or so ago, but Paul's partners in ministry also have a great deal of influence on what he does and even sometimes what he says. Barnabas, for example, was initially from the island of Cyprus. And when opposition comes to Paul after, uh, after he's first converted, where do him and Barnabas, where's the first place that they go in their ministry? They go to Cyprus. That's where Barnabas was from. Barnabas encourages, he says, hey Paul, I have this really, uh, this really great idea of people who would be excited to hear about Jesus. Paul needed other ministry partners for his work to succeed, and he wanted them to succeed. There's also something to be said about what Paul instructs the Corinthian church uh, halfway through this reading in verse 13, but we'll come back to that later. Um, something we see just really quickly here is that in Paul's conversion, in his teaching, in his travels, in his life, Paul is reliant on the work of others. Paul continues in verse 17. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus because they have made up for your absence. I love that right there. For they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours, giving recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and, Pris Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Something else we see here about Paul is that he wasn't just reliant on his brothers and sisters to be effective. He wasn't just relying on them for assistance, but he also needed them for encouragement. When Paul is moving back and forth from these places, he's excited about the work that he's doing. He's excited about church planning, 
But there are times when he's leaving these locations. He's leaving places like Ephesus, and he's crying. He's tearful that he has to leave his brothers and sisters in Christ, who he gets this great encouragement from. He's building these emotional connections with these people because he needs that too as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. Multiple times he asks his brothers and sisters for prayers. He longs to return to his brothers when he's away. That's how he opens the book of Romans. I I can't wait to get back to you. Paul's relationships are what push him forward in his ministry, but also in his relationship with Christ. Even the great Paul, the super-Christian Paul, was not an island. He desperately desired encouragement from others. And not even just did he want it, he often sought it out. He knew that Christian fellowship was something that he needed, and so he asked for it. He asked for prayers, and he asked for encouragement. I want to go backwards to the first reading, to what uh, something Paul said in uh, verse 13. And I, hope we don't, I hope we don't read uh, uh, verses like this and Uh, misunderstand what the scripture is saying. This is what it says in verse 13 and 14. It said, Be watchful and stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. A simple summary instruction. We see this a lot at at the end of the epistles or at the end of a section. They try to hack a whole lot in uh, as a conclusion. When we see this, when we see these kind of uh, sets of verses, we don't just need to pay attention to what is being commanded, like watch and stand and act. We also need to be mindful of who is being asked to do these things. This can be hard to see in the English language because the word you is the same as if you were saying it plural or singular. The thing is that these verbs here, they're not singular verbs. They're plural verbs. And these verses would probably be better read, you all be watchful, you all stand firm. Or if you're, uh, if I was translating, it would be, y'all be watchful, y'all stand firm. That's, that's probably the best way. Just take my word for it. Um, these words here, are not commanded or instructed to individuals. They're instructed of communities, of churches, of multiples of people who are doing things together. I want to look at each of these verbs individually and see what they say about we and not just about me. The first is be watchful, plural, not singular. This means that we're to keep an eye out for our brothers and sisters, not just watching out for our own backs. This means that we're mindful when our Christian family has need because we're looking at them. We're looking after them. We're not just looking after ourselves. The second one is stand firm in the faith, plural, not singular. This goes back to what I mentioned earlier this morning, that our faith in God is never something that was intended to be just between you and God. It's between we, us, and God. We have to stand firm in the faith. We have to be strong and courageous. We have to encourage one another to press on day after day in our pursuit to know God. Not just checking our own boxes and say, have I prayed? Have I read my Bible? But being mindful of our brothers and sisters in their walk as well. 
the third verb here, act like men, plural, not singular. Now, this instruction isn't pushing us all towards great masculinity. If you want to be a, a good Christian, you've got to man up. Now, what Paul's getting at here is spiritual maturity. It's something that we do. It's not just something that I do. Again, growing up and understanding, being someone who pursues the unity of a believers, it's something that Jesus and Paul are inviting us to do as a community. It's not an instruction that you need to get your affairs in order. You need to be mature. No, it's that we need to figure out how to stop settling for spiritual milk and figuring out how to give each other spiritual meat. We need to mature as a church. The fourth is to be strong, plural, not singular. I don't know if there's a whole lot of explanation that's needed here, but one of Paul's illustrations might be helpful. A three-chord strand is not quickly broken from Ephesians. I think about bodybuilders. Bodybuilders are strong, and for the most part, bodybuilding and weightlifting is an individual effort. I think you can compete as a team, I, I'm not sure, but for the most part, it's about individual growth. When I was in school, I ran cross country. I didn't like running, but I needed something to do, and all my friends were running. I might have needed better friends. Do we have any runners? Anybody like running? No? Connor? Yeah. I don't know if he likes it, but he does it. Um, when you start doing something for the first time, you're not usually great at it, and this is especially true for running, if you have ever ran before. I remember early on in middle school, when I just started out on the longer days, the middle school team and the high school team would all start together, and they would run as a, as a big pack through the neighborhoods and trails. And I have lots of memories, many times, where I would fall behind, and at least was the case with our team, when a runner started to fall behind, the the herd would kind of slow down to a jog until the person could catch up, like me, the slower person. And I remember one specific time, one of the seniors, who was usually out at the front of the pack leading the group, broke from the pack and came back, and he ran right beside me to pace with me. And I certainly was, a good, I certainly was not a good pace partner for him. He was much faster than I was. But he had the strength. And he had the endurance to be a good pace partner for me and push me along when I needed encouragement. What might it look like if we used our strengths and we used our spiritual endurance and we used our spiritual maturity to break out from our lane and walk alongside our brothers and sisters? The last verb here in this verse, let all that you do be done in love. Again, plural, not singular. I hope you're getting the picture here that the church is not this check-in place where throughout the week we've all been going our separate ways, we're all doing our own things, and maybe we're even doing good things. We're doing, we're doing good things for Jesus, and we come back on Sunday to our meeting place and we catch up. The church should be a community of believers, not a place, who are living and walking together and doing everything together in love. We, not me.
another reason that Paul relied on others. He needed their help, he needed their encouragement, but he also knew that he could not do it on his own. And your Christian walk is no different. You can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. It doesn't matter how strong you are, or how mature you are, it doesn't matter how wise you are. Jesus did not die on the cross so that you, I, could have a relationship with God, so that but so that we could have a relationship with God. So that all mankind could. And we can't do it on our own. We cannot complete this walk on our own. We need each other. So I think we might should start investing in each other. We need to be reminded that the acts of faith that we do, our acts of faith are not just about us. Our faith to be lived out with other people in mind because as much as we like to think sometimes and as much as our culture wants us to believe you can't do it on your own no matter how much you improve self the Holy Spirit thankfully is at work within us to do a good work for others we're never really alone even when we try to be but do not quench the Holy Spirit but by refusing to mingle with others, by refusing to be stirred up by others, by neglecting your need to be encouraged by others. It's natural to want to stick to yourself. I get it. Our culture wants that. I often want that. That's what comes from this individualistic world that we live in. But the church is not about the individual. The church is about God. It's about us working together as one body, as we read in Romans 12, to bring glory and honor to God. We cannot do it alone. And if you're not a Christian, then you can't do this life alone. One, you need brothers and sisters in Christ who are walking with you, but first and foremost, you need the blood of Jesus. You need to give your life to Christ, and if you're ready to do that, we would love to help make that happen. If you are a Christian and you feel isolated in your faith, I invite you, I invite myself, to realize our own limitations and realize that I can't do it on my own. You were never intended to do it on your own. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Rely on your brothers and sisters in Christ for encouragement and assistance. If you have any need, whether it's in person or on Facebook this morning, I hope that you will make it known. I, will ho- I hope that you'll ask for the prayers of the church, that you will rely on the community that you have right here. As a church, God is calling us to put we over me. And over the next two months, we're going to be looking at all the different ways that we can use our faith. You can use your faith, not just to help yourself, but to help the people around you. Who in your life needs encouragement? Encourage you to pour from your cup, no matter how empty you think it is. What are the needs of your brothers and sisters? Encourage you to lower yourself and serve them. We gather together on a regular basis on days like today, because we are people who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he is Lord today. But if we aren't taking advantage of the community that we have here, the community, the body of brothers and sisters in Christ that we have, well, then you're trying to, trying to follow Jesus on your own. And I'd invite you to reconsider. If you have any need this morning, won't you make it known right now as we stand and as we sing?